you're much more than worthy. We need you and we love you. Think of yourself as this immeasurable gift of potential that can become something not only important to yourself, but to, to other people too. I believe that the opposite of depression, it's not happiness, it's purpose. I believe that every single person has something unique to contribute to the world. And that's why I wanted to create a show called Don't Keep Your Day Job. Don't Keep Your Day Job is about figuring out what it is that you were here to do in this world that only you can do to make the world more whole, more beautiful, and to stop selling yourself short, and to stop sitting it out, and to figure out how to take this thing you love, whether it's art or music or screenwriting or dance or baking, and how do you weave this thing that you love into a life that you get to contribute, that you get to do what you love full time, because it's not just about business, it's about contribution, it's about meaning. That is what we seek, that is what we truly want, and you absolutely are here to serve the world, and I want to help you figure out just how much value you have inside of you. And every single week, we're going to be talking to people who have something to add to help you get out of your own way, to help you be more successful, to help you be the truest expression of you. My name is Kathy Heller. I'm so glad that you're here. Let's dive in. Thanks to ButcherBox for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Every month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of high-quality meat right to your home. Right now, ButcherBox is offering new members two pounds of ground beef in every box for the life of their subscription. Just go to butcherbox.com slash dreamjob. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. So it's been a hard few days. Um, we lost someone really special to us. And so um, we've been sitting Shiva as a family. And, you know, when you go through hard things, it's tough, but you also feel a tremendous amount of love. And this episode today was so very special. Harry Connick Jr. is on the podcast and he he wrote an album during the pandemic called Alone With My Faith. And so we had a conversation about going through hard things. And it just seems fitting that today's the day that this conversation comes out. He could not be more genuine more adorable, more talented, more of a loving person. So I was just so incredibly honored to speak with him and to share this conversation with you. I'm sure you know who he is, so he needs no introduction. But just to recap, he's a Grammy-winning, Emmy-winning, Tony-nominated singer, composer, actor, and performer. And he's been doing this work for almost his entire life. You've probably heard him in my favorite movie, When Harry Met Sally, but also Sleepless in Seattle. He's had tons of successful albums like Only You, Your Songs, Oh My Nola, Harry for the Holidays, 30 Songs I Heard. And you may have seen him on Will and Grace, Independence Day, Hope Floats, Law and Order, New in Town, Fear of Rain, or as a judge on American Idol. He's already done so much and he just shows no signs of stopping. In fact, his newest album just came out last week and you must go hear it. It's called Alone With My Faith. And what's really incredible is that he created this album during the pandemic, as I said before. He basically went into his home studio, wrote and arranged all the songs, played every instrument and sang every part. It's a beautiful, beautiful record. Go listen to it on Spotify or Apple or buy the record. You don't want to miss it. We're going to talk about what inspired this record, and we're also going to share some stories that neither of us had ever told before. So you're going to definitely want to stick around for this. This was an absolute dream come true. Not only is he so very handsome, but he is 
really, truly one of the most sincere people I've ever met. And it's so obvious how that's all he wants to do is just give love to every single one of us. Um, he really cares. I think you won't be able to help yourself from falling in love with him if you don't already. So without further ado, please welcome the one and only Harry Connick Jr. Hey, how you doing? I can't even put into words how I'm doing to sit here with you. I'm like every other girl who is just aware of how special and incredibly soulful and sensitive and smart and talented you are. So that's a lot to be able to just act cool and be with that, but I'm going to do it. Thank I can you. do this. Thank you all of my interviews today. <laughs> I would love to. So anyway, let's dive in. We're going to talk about your new album, but I want to hear a little bit about your journey because everyone who listens to the show is seeking more purpose in their life. It's about doing your life's work. And from a young age, you've been called, right? You were called to do music. I want to know about that. Like, when did that happen for you? And when did it become something you wanted to really step into versus this cool thing that everyone else told you that you could do? Yeah, so so long story short, my sister was taking piano lessons from my cousin, Georgia. And I was like three. And I loved oh listening to her play. And so after she would have her lesson... I would sort of go and plink some of the notes that I heard. And I just found it fascinating that you could sit up in front of this big wooden machine and play these keys and notes would come out. It was just, you know, I guess how you see kids skiing down a mountain or swinging a golf club when they're like two or three, there's just something that brings them uh, yeah. to do that. And so that, that was me. And, and then my mother who came from a musical family, kind of recognized that that I was really interested in it. So we had a upright piano in the house and I was so interested. Like all I did was play all the time. So they made, they saw that, my parents saw that and they made sure that I had access to, you know, education. And, and that's really what did it because as we all know, I think the idea of empowerment and ownership yeah. is, is paramount for you young people to let them know that anything is possible. And I had that. So that was a big plus for me. So they saw you and they encouraged you. And then I saw a clip of you when you were like 14. So cute. And you're like, yeah, I want to tour, but you know, it's harder, you know, being a jazz musician. Like at what point did you want this dream or did you never really think that it would become what it became? No, it was and I say this as modestly as I can. I always knew that that this was the only thing I was going to do. A because I loved it, and B I wasn't good at anything else. Like, <laughs> it's true. I was a terrible student in in school. Um, I probably had ADHD, but there was no diagnosis for it then. I mean, I was a horrible student. Um, when my mother died, when I was thirteen, everything went off the rails. I'm not a good athlete. I physically, I you know, I can't do any of that. So thank God I had this love for music and all I did was play. But when you look at the circumstances in which I was able to learn and perform, I had like the best teachers and mentors on the planet. I had people who were so good at what they did that it just drove me to be better and better and better. And like my buddies who are a few years older than me are among not the greatest of their generation, but probably the greatest that ever played the instruments like Wynton Marsalis and Branford Marsalis. And they were like five, six years older than me. And those were the people who were saying, Hey, you know, 
keep playing. And so it was like a perfect storm for somebody that had my desire because I had the right time, the right education, the right opportunities to play. And I never thought that I would ever do anything else. And what did you feel like when you played music? Did you feel like you were just transported or like you were channeling some divine something? Like, did you have that feeling and recognition from a being a little kid? Well, yeah, when I was little, I felt like that. I felt like, oh, this is really cool. And then when I started to become probably around seven, eight or nine, like right around the time you can distinguish between right and wrong and your, your brain starts to understand things in a more complex way, I started realizing that I'm not all that. Like, oh yeah, I love to play. But then you start seeing, you're getting instructed by teachers who could play anything you could play a lot better, you know? So, and the the way they teach is not warm and fuzzy. So they they don't really say, oh, you're so talented. You're so good. Like, I remember my teacher, Ellis Marsalis saying, you should consider quitting music and, and taking up another vocation because you, you don't have what it takes. I mean, not that statement on a regular basis, but constant, brutal critique. Like, I remember when I did American Idol, people were saying, oh, you're so harsh on the kids. I said, you have no, no idea. idea. <laughs> um, you know, I don't like that's not who I am. But boy, that's who my teachers were. They did not screw around. They were preparing you to be, you know, monster musicians. Yeah. And it was um, so, no, it, it wasn't like I would go play to lose myself. I would play to understand my craft. Yeah. And then when I got a little bit of knowledge, it would be an amazing feeling of liberation back to the woodshed and say, God, I, I'm terrible. I need to practice, you know, but that's the way it is with, with anything. You know, you have to you have to learn. That's incredible. And it's so generous for you to show that behind the scenes, but it's important because I think people look at someone like you or any other master, Serena Williams, and it's easy to think like she just woke up this way. And you're saying like, no, I had to show up in that resilience over and over again so that you could merit this level of mastery, right? Like that's an incredible thing. What was incredible to me is I tell my kids all the time, give yourself something to edit. And what I mean by that is if you want to write a book or take a picture or design a dress or become a doctor or whatever it is, you can't edit something that doesn't exist. And a lot of times I think people are fearful of doing something they really, really love to do. So they'll never start that podcast or they'll never start the book. But if you write the first page or if you do your first podcast, you'll give yourself things upon which to improve. And that's where the excitement comes in. You can't possibly compare yourself to somebody like Serena Williams when you go to your first tennis lesson. Right. Or if you never pick up the racket, I'll never be that good. You can't, you can't do that. And the problem with living now with social media is you're seeing the best of everything immediately. So it, it has an effect on the natural growth process. I, I can promise you, I don't know. I mean, I met Serena Williams one time, but I'm sure those training sessions were ugly and yeah. nasty and yeah. painful. Yeah. Um, and that's what it takes in anything. You know that. I mean, you know, it takes a lot of work. I love what you're saying because you're giving people permission to start, you know, just like start and improve. And, and you are measuring yourself against your own yardstick, not against that's something right. else. That's right. So then it does happen for you, right? You move to New York. You're what, like 18? And is your big break? When Harry met Sally, is that like the big, big moment? Well, I would call the big break signing with Columbia Records because that's something I always 
wanted to happen. So when I moved to New York, I, I had a contact there at, at Columbia Records. I ended up signing with them. That was the big break. The huge break was when Harry met Sally. And I, a long story short, there is a guy named Bobby Columbia. And Bobby Columbia is this beautiful man who used to be the drummer with the group Blood, Sweat and Tears. Bobby's brother, Harry Columbia, was the manager of a jazz musician named Thelonious Monk. I used to imitate Thelonious Monk for years. He was my hero. So Bobby Columbia, who was now an executive at Columbia Records, heard me and thought I reminded him of this musician, Thelonious Monk. And I also looked like his brother. So I think he felt a kinship there. Yeah. So one of Bobby's good friends uh, is Rob Reiner, who was, had just directed this film. And Bobby said, I've got some background piano for this movie. I know a guy for you. He's this kid. He's 20. He's from New Orleans. And so I went to Los Angeles and I basically, if you can imagine like a, a giant auditorium with a huge screen and Rob said, there'll be a green line that goes across that screen. And when it reaches the end, you play. So it was just me sitting at a piano in a huge room with a, with a movie screen. That's so now, intense. That's well, so no, hard. It wasn't because this would be like you, you know, with your best friend. Okay. Um, and, and I say, listen, when I say go, I want you to have a cup of coffee with your okay. best friend and say what you did today. I mean, it was that easy. That's what I do. I'm a piano player. So right. Watch the line go across the screen and Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan were up there. And I said, you just want me to play like what I see? And he said, yeah, so I did. And then a red line would go across the screen and, and I would finish. And that was it. I'm like, seriously, like that's no, that's fun. Right. So he said, I want you to sing this one song. It's called It Had to Be You. And that'll be it. So I did that. And then there were a bunch of other artists who had songs in the movie, like Frank Sinatra, Ella Fitzgerald, Ray Charles. For different reasons, their management didn't want them on the soundtrack couldn't work out the deal. So like when Ray Charles, who had Winter Wonderland, couldn't be on the soundtrack, Rob said, I need you to sing Winter Wonderland or play it. And when Ella Fitzgerald couldn't do I Could Write a Book, he said, I need you to sing. And before you knew it, I had the whole album. So this album came out, the movie was a huge hit. And it was just like, I went from selling 10,000 records to, you know, millions of records. And it just completely changed my life. What was that like for you? Because you're so grounded. You've been married to the same incredible woman for all these years. You're so grounded. And then all of a sudden you're just like thrust into, I mean, you were so famous so fast. How did you receive that without feeling like you were going to sabotage it because you were afraid of it? You clearly were able to ride it and not lose yourself. Well, I, I wanted it. I mean, I wanted the opportunity to play, but there was an undercurrent of influence that was very, very powerful from people like my mother, my father, my manager, who I've been with now for 35 years, this incredible oh making woman who, you know, is the reason. We're now. Um, so there were people in my life who didn't tolerate anything, but, you know, being cool, you know, like, like, don't let the stuff go to your head. And I wasn't always successful. I can think of many times where, you know, I, I was an idiot, you know, I was 23, 24, you know, you start making money, you start getting famous. And many times, you know, someone might say, um, you know, can I have your autograph? It's like, I'm eating dinner right now. And, you know, and then I go to bed, like, why do you do that, man? Like, 
And you, and you learn, you know, very quickly that this is an incredible gift and the people for whom you're playing are the reason that you're able to enjoy that. So you better cut that crap out. And there was a, there was a, for every one of my dad, there was a cousin or an aunt or somebody. And if I acted, you know, a certain way in public that wasn't appropriate, I would hear about it. And they, they don't play that. They said, you, you don't forget who you are. You're nothing. You're nothing special. You know, you're a human being act with dignity, act with grace. And, and, um, you know, you hear that enough, you start, you start trying to do it. I'm not saying I always did it, but I tried, you know. Well, you so did do it. That's what everybody loves about you. When people talk about you, they love you. They, nobody likes you. They adore you because of your, I'm telling you, there's an, there's an earnestness that comes from everything you do, every note you play. It's so powerful because the world is so devoid of love and you give love, you give love to everybody. And that's just from you. It's not because someone earned it or deserved it. You just, you're so generous in well, the way I, that you show up. I, I appreciate that. I mean, it's, it's, these things are hard to hear, especially when, like one time we had breakfast at our house. Our house was kind of formal. Like my mother and father were in the uh, public eye. They, they were politicians and w- they grew up in a generation where you just didn't kind of walk around in shorts and barefoot. Like, <laughs> And so we had this Sunday breakfast one day and it was my mom, my dad, me and my sister and this guy. And this guy came over and he had a suit on and, you know, I'm like 10. I I really don't want to be there. And we're having breakfast. And yeah, yes, sir. You know, sir. And, you know, I come from the generation where it was, you know, don't speak unless you're spoken to. So we would say there and we'd be quiet. And this guy would say, so, you know, Harry Jr., what did you do? Oh, I did this. Yes, sir. You know. And I figured he was a celebrity or politician or something. Well, a couple of weeks later, my mom, I'm with her getting her oil changed. And there's this guy in his mechanics outfit covered in oil or whatever. I'm like, that's that dude who was at our house. She's like, yeah, you know, that's Mr. Smith. It's like, well, what was he doing there? She's like, well, he's a, he's a nice man. And, you know, we, we appreciate him. And it clicked in my mind, like, oh, wait, you don't have to be like a big celebrity to like come dress up and come have, you know, and, it, and it, it sounds very basic, but when you, when you see that example, I don't care who you're talking to, young, old, black, white, gay, straight, whatever religion, I try to love all of them, not tolerate them or accept them, love them. And, and I find I'm, I'm at so much more peace for me. You know, when I go to bed at night, I pray for the people that have given me problems almost before I pray for the people that I love, you know what I'm saying? Just, just love people. You know, it's so, so much easier. It's so good. Thank you. It's so beautiful. It reminds me of a a quick story, which I didn't think I would tell you, but it's just so beautiful. So my rabbi's wife was in New York city getting ready. It's Rosh Hashanah. It's like the biggest day of the year. She's like planning all this stuff and she's late for shul. Listen to God, because everyone's already gone. She's getting the house ready. And she walks outside and this homeless man walks up to her on Rosh Hashanah, which is like the biggest holy day. And he says, uh, can I come to your house for a meal for thy holidays? And he's clearly a homeless person. And she thinks for like one second. And then she says to him, yes, yeah, I'll be back, you know. And he starts to walk away and they're living in the city. So she starts running after him. She says, you don't know my apartment you don't know my address. And he says, I just wanted to know what your answer would be. Wow. Wow. 
I've that story's never left me and I've never told that to anybody, but can I tell you one that I've never told to anybody? Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> All right. So I have to tell the story to give you the ending, but I would rather leave out the part that shines light on me, but I have to tell that part. So I was doing a movie in New Orleans and every day I would drive past this particular area under the Claiborne bridge where there were 50 homeless people every day, sleeping in tents, whatever. It, it bugged me. So I, I, I decided to go to McDonald's and, you know, buy, you know, a hundred egg McMuffins or whatever, whatever it was. So I put all the stuff in the car and I brought it to him. And I noticed when I was handing it out that they, they weren't like particularly effusive, right? They just kind of took it. And I just thought that I didn't care, but I just thought that was interesting. Well, I was in New Orleans, my dad was there, and I really wanted my dad to know that I did this so he'd be proud of me, which is not the reason I did it, and I shouldn't have thought about it, but I'm telling you this to be as frank with you as I can. So I was looking for the right opportunity to tell my dad, you know, like, so I didn't want to make it sound like, dad, I gave all this food to these homeless people. I, I was telling the story from the perspective of how they responded to it, because I figured that would be more casual. So I said, dad, I gave this food to these homeless people and um, I didn't, they weren't like really thankful. They just kind of took it. And I was expecting, oh, that's interesting. You'd think they would be thankful. You know what he said? They treated me the same way when I brought them food. He had never told me that story. And it, it would hit me like a brick wall. Like I learned so many lessons that day. A, you don't need your right hand to know what the left hand is doing all the time. Why are you doing this? Are you doing this for you? Are you doing this for praise for you? Or are you doing it for those people? Are you really doing it for those people? And all and the fact that my dad didn't tell me that, the fact that he did it and didn't tell me that, like, and I'm like, what else has he done? You know, and it was a great lesson in, in humility and love. And, um, you know, that's just like what I can sense you try to do. That's what I try to do. I just try to be better, man. Try to be better. In the title track on this album, Alone With My Faith, there's the bridge. And you know what a bridge is in music, right? So in the bridge, it says, I just got to work a little harder right now. I just got to dig a little deeper right now. I just got to look a little closer at myself. Take my time, keep my faith. That is a bridge for a reason, because if I can get across that bridge, yeah. you know, metaphorically and, and literally, then I was on the other side. So yeah, I don't know how we got here, but it's it's nice to share these stories. I mean, we've done almost 400 episodes. That was probably the most powerful thing that's ever been said. Oh, wow. So thank you so much for this. So <laughs> going back to the amazing life that you've been living, because I definitely want to talk about this record, but I am curious too. So you're doing all this music. It all starts to be just like a dream. And then you start acting. How does that happen? Did you know well, you were in high school? Like I, I, I was in, you know, musicals in high school and, and I was performing all the time. I loved being on stage. I loved seeing people clapping and smiling and, you know, appreciating what I was doing. I, I, that's just my personality. I love to be on stage. And so when I was, I guess I was probably 20, I was I was in Los Angeles playing at this small club and a, and a woman who was a casting director for a film called Memphis Bell said, there's a military movie. Would you like to audition for it? And I was like, that'd be great. I auditioned <laughs> and I had a very small part, but it was kind of a, a test to see if I even liked making movies. And I did. I liked it a lot. And so 
I continued to do that. I started to do television, started to do Broadway, which kind of brought it home for me since I had done that kind of stuff in high school. So it, it all felt like the same type of creativity, just in, you know, in different genres. Do you have a favorite movie that you've done? Um, I've had some that I've really enjoyed doing. Like I just actually released one called Fear of Rain. And no. I got a chance to work with this incredible young actor named Madison Eisman. You guys were so good together and you have three daughters. So it's like, you could feel the chemistry. You have four daughters? No, she's my fourth. Oh, she's your fourth. We've adopted her. We've become very close to her and- and You could feel it. It was special. And that doesn't always happen in in a film, you know, but I was playing her dad and it was tough. You know, the reason I say it was a great, it was one of my favorites is because I was so emotionally exhausted after doing it. I mean, it was really tough because she played a girl that was suffering with yeah. schizophrenia. And to be, I've seen that in, in my personal life, but I've also dealt with it in the movie. And it's, it's very hard to, to watch. And so it was a great education for me. And, and it was a profound experience. Other movies have just been, you know, lots of fun. Like I've met some amazing people like Sandra Bullock, Renee Zellweger and Hilary Swank. And those movies weren't as heavy, but just to be around these women and to watch them and learn from them has, has been an amazing thing. We just watched my nine-year-old and I just watched Hope Floats. I was like, it's oh, one really? of my favorite movies. And you're just so good in everything oh. you do. Well, and I appreciate that. that though, you know, you when are. you're with people like Sandy Bullock, when you're around her, you, you understand why she's a movie star. And within a second of being around her, you're like, oh, I get it. Because when you're talking to them, like we're talking right now, you're not yourself. You're the character and you sort of transform into this other world. And after the scene is over, you're like, oh, what just happened? So there's there's a reason that these folks are who they are. You know, they have these amazing talents that, you know, make you better, I think. That's amazing. And I love that movie. And I think it's actually a good transition into this album because I was just watching it again for like the 20th time. And I love just how this movie is. There's a line where there's the narration says she didn't know how strong she was. And we face these things, right? And every character in that movie is going through something, right? Yes. Denise is going through something and Bertie's going through something. And even the husband's going through his thing and the mom passes away and the father's got Alzheimer's. And it's just this moment, this slice of life moment where you, you have to be with what's really hard to be with. And this pandemic has been just that we've had to sit with a lot and we've had to get still so that we actually face things we've been running from in addition to how hard this is. And you went on this journey and went alone off into a studio and wrote this record. What did you want to convey? What was it about this record that you hope might give people strength? Well, like you say, you know, we, we have all gone through things and we all go through things. And for example, when uh, my wife, Jill, was diagnosed with breast cancer almost eight years ago, it was, it was absolutely terrifying. And anybody, I'm sure everybody that's watching this right now or listens to this right now, knows exactly precisely what that feeling is like. You feel helpless, you feel alone, you're, you're scared. You, yeah. It's just the worst. Well, those are feelings that we may share in, in different circumstances, but they are personal to us. The interesting thing about the pandemic is that we're sharing the same experience. Yes, I've never known that before. I think we're yeah. the only people on the planet who have 
ever experienced this is this you know people who are living this right now because i think the spanish flu or whatever happened you know the last time so i i wanted to give people a, a sense of not only comfort that they know i'm going through it but i needed to know that they're going through it i i i need to know that you are feeling what i'm feeling because this what the hell is happening right now like this is crazy i mean not only the pandemic but just the whole state of the world things are like sometimes my, my daughters will say like, this is a pretty strange time right now, right? I'm like, yeah, no, this is weird. This is <laughs> time. And I, I did it for myself sort of therapeutically. And I was prepared to admit that, you know, I'm, I'm struggling here. Like sometimes I felt like my faith was really strong. And sometimes I really questioned it. Like, man, who's out there? Like, are you, are you watching all this? Are you hearing me? And, yeah. and I, I felt okay with, with talking about that and, and singing about that. So the album is basically for, you know, people who have some sort of faith, it doesn't have to be Christian faith, but the idea that we have this gift to compel us to believe in something greater than us. I think most of us share that. Yeah. And I think that God expects us to, to question these things, right. To like yeah, no, absolutely. wrestle with this, like, I think that that would only make sense. And it's so brave to come out and say what everyone else is actually feeling. And you, you played a bunch of the songs that everyone knows, like Amazing Grace, but you also wrote a bunch of songs. And so was that cathartic for you through the process? Did you feel like you found strength in that? I did. And I've never written a song that helped me as I was writing it. You know, like if you say go into a room and write a song about a breakup or about falling in love or whatever it is, great. I love to do that. I love to, to fantasize and pretend and create scenarios and circumstances from maybe a different perspective. But I actually, you know, when I sang, I, I just got to work a little harder right now. Like I was really speaking to myself, like you need to work harder and, and you need to look a little closer at, at yourself and, and, and figure out how to navigate this, not only as a human being, but as a dad, as a husband, as a member of the community. And I've never had that experience before. What do you think about faith in general? Because I feel like for me, it took me like a year to say the word God on this podcast. I had gone to Jerusalem after college for like a two week stint and I stayed for three years and I became really connected. And I was like, oh, in, in LA where I've been living for 17 years, it, that's like a taboo thing to talk about faith. Like nobody wants to hear about it. But I feel like people are so thirsty for it. You know, whatever you call it, people are thirsty to connect with something bigger. And I think it takes a lot of guts for, from you to do a record like this from some people's perspective. Yeah, maybe from some people's perspective. But I mean, is it really taboo? I mean, like when you look at, I'm not talking about arguing about religion, but speaking about faith, I've never had a problem with that. Like I've never, maybe, maybe you're saying like, if you say it, then people are going to turn off the podcast or turn away. But I don't look at the world like that. You know, if I see somebody talking about Buddhism, I mean, that's what you believe in. Yep. So, I mean, I love you and I respect you for that. I don't care what religion it is. So I've never had a problem talking about it. You know, I know people and I have people in my life who are very forward about it and everything is from their religious perspective and they want you to know it. And I love them too. That's not how I want to do it. I remember talking to uh, Cardinal Dolan about this in, in New York. I said, your excellency, I mentioned being Catholic one time because somebody asked me if I was religious and that was 20 years ago. And ever since people are, they asked me about my faith and Catholicism. And I said, 
I'm not the guy. You're the guy. I'm not the guy. Why, why me? Like I'm, I try my best, but I try to educate myself. And he said, that's precisely why you're imperfect in so many ways. And you have so much to learn. And most of us are exactly like that. So he said, from his perspective, he said, Harry, that's why you have that platform. And it's just like, oh, you know, I'm like, maybe so. You know, my dad tells me all the time, (laughs) you need to learn your faith. You need to learn it. You need to study it. And he's absolutely right. But yeah, I mean, it's like, I don't have a problem talking about my faith. I don't have a problem you talking about your lack of it or your belief in Scientology or Buddhism or whatever you want to talk about. So maybe the idea of not being able to talk about religion is trendier than actually not being able to talk about it. Cause I've I've never had a problem with it. Yeah. Because you're just so open. And the truth is we're all just trying to get home. You know, exactly. That's it. We're just trying to point our little ship in the direction of the mothership. We're just trying to do our assignment. Yeah. And, and um, man, for me, it's so important to, to love that and to listen to that. I need to love you unconditionally, period. And save the conversation about we may not believe the same thing for later, if at all, because ultimately, how does what you do affect what I do? It doesn't. What you do is your thing. And I need to celebrate that. Obviously, we're not talking about things that cause people harm or things like that. But I think most people are good people. And like you say, they, they're trying to do their own thing. And for me, it's very important to, to love everybody and realize that they're, they're going on their own path. Yeah. And that's so beautiful, what, everything you're saying. And again, very brave. Most people just don't even want to go anywhere near these conversations. So like what you're saying, I think is going to give people a lot of peace. Like we could just love each other, right? We can just love each other. I love this conversation so much, but before we keep going, we're just going to thank our sponsors. Spring cleaning is around the corner and there's so much more we need to tidy up. Cleaning might be a chore, but doesn't it feel so good when you can take care of your space? And taking care of what goes on your plate is just as important. And ButcherBox helps you make mealtime moments feel special year round with the highest quality meat at better prices sent right to your door. This way you can spend more time cooking and sharing yummy meals with family and friends. And right now, ButcherBox is offering new members two pounds of ground beef in every box for the life of their subscription. Just go to butcherbox.com slash dream job. Every month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of high quality meat right to your home, packed fresh and shipped frozen and vacuum sealed. Every box has nine to 11 pounds of meat, which is enough for 24 individual meals. And all meat is free of antibiotics and added hormones. I love that I can customize my box so that we can get exactly what we want. They have great options like free range organic chicken, 100% grass fed and finished beef. But since we are pescatarian, my favorite is the wild caught Alaskan salmon. We got our box and followed the recipe on their site for pesto salmon. My family loved it and we had enough leftovers for dinner over the next couple of days. It's really nice to get butcher bucks in straight to my house because it saves me an extra trip to the grocery store. Plus, the quality is so much better than you'd find in the meat section of your average supermarket. Right now, ButcherBox is offering new members ground beef for life. That's two pounds of ground beef in every box for the life of their subscription. Just go to butcherbox.com slash dream job. That's butcherbox.com slash dream job. You know, I sit here with you, which is just such an incredible gift to do something that's going to encourage people, right? The people who are listening. And what I hear from my audience is just this feeling of inherent unworthiness. And it's almost as if people just feel like they have to constantly earn 
They have to earn it. They have to prove themselves. Right. But love is something like you were just talking about. It's just given. It's just grace. Right. You don't have to earn it. I wish, you know, I wish we lived in a world where I could just look into the eyes of every single one of your listeners and say, you're much more than worthy. You're needed. We need you and we love you. And yeah, you should maybe feel compelled to do better by your own standards. You know, think of yourself as this immeasurable gift of potential that can become something not only important to yourself, but to to other people too. And I mean, we're only on this planet for a, a short time. And, and, and I really wish I could look at all of those listeners who, who don't feel worthy and say, oh my gosh, you have no idea. You have no idea how important you are and how individual you are and how unique you are and, and how much I love you. You know, I don't know you, but I love you, you know, and I would hope they feel like that for me too, with all of my, you know, imperfections, you know, Jill, who's the closest person to me, knows me better than anybody. You know, she knows my imperfections and she, and she loves me and we all need to feel that we, we, you can't do it without that. Your words are like medicine. It's so beautiful. And it's so true what you're saying. It's just so true. What do you think it, when it comes down to it, people, they're going to look you know, at you and they listen to you and they listen to your music and they'll say, yeah, but he's different. He's worthy because he's a genius. He's special. You know, Sandra Bullock, you just mentioned she's, she's incredible. Like I'll never get there. And so, like you said before, there's people who don't start the podcast. They don't draw the first draft. They don't do anything because they compare themselves constantly. What do you think if you had to boil it down and someone's listening and they want to share their gifts with the world, what do you think it requires to get to do what they love, to get to be successful at it? Well, first of all, I think you have to define success. And I think that's a sort of happiness that comes from within. I think that's really important. But I also think it's important to be able to live with the idea that there's going to be discomfort on your journey. There's going to be times, maybe extended periods of time where you are stuck. You are emotionally stuck. You're creatively stuck. You think you don't have anything to offer, but No one lives a pain-free life. No one lives a life of complete bliss. But I think the key to achieving a higher level of human existence is understanding that there is an art to pain and discomfort, and it's okay to be present in that while it happens. So while you're searching for, what am I good at? I I don't do anything. I don't know. I'm not an actor. There is something there. You just need to take the time to figure it out and be okay with the fact that it may take some time. It may take a week, a month, a year, may take five years. But like I said earlier, give yourself something to edit. If you're in a position, I don't want to oversimplify this. There's women that are listening right now that have two jobs and children and don't have a minute for themselves. That's not to say that these ideas can't exist in their life at some point. And I don't want to come across like, everything's going to be lovely if you just, you know, believe in yourself. Cause it's, it's not that it's, it's knowing that if given the chance, your purpose will reveal itself to you and know that that's there may not be right now. You may have to get those three children fed, bathed to school and work those two jobs. So it may, it may not be right now, but know that there's people like me out there that really believe in you because nobody's bereft of potential. You know what I mean? This is a tough thing to talk about because it's easy to sound like you're oversimplifying the lives of people who are really, really struggling. And there's all kinds of things to 
bring into that conversation, like emotional pain? What if the person's in a bad relationship? Or what if there's mental illness? So please, you know, I speak very respectfully, considering that there are a lot of circumstances out there that you can't possibly address in this podcast. But I think at our core, we're good and we have potential and we are worthy. You know, I really, really believe that. And I, I've heard so many of our listeners talk about how they feel like they have a choice between being a good person and having more. That somehow if they really received other people's kindness or money or success, that they would feel selfish or greedy. People have been taught that there's a shame in feeling good. There's a shame in having. And there's you a- you have so much but you also do such a good job of giving it back and also enjoying it. And I, I don't know that everybody knows that they can do that, that that's an option. Well, it is. And Ignatius Loyola, the namesake of Loyola University, was someone who said that, like, how can you be humble and let your light shine at the same time? Right. They should coexist. As a matter of fact, the Jesuits, I, I went to a Jesuit high school. That's their whole thing is the coexistence <laughs> of the trying to achieve your personal greatness at the same time is focusing on the little tiny things like, I love you so much. Thank you for having me on this podcast. Um, what did you do today? How was school today, Shar? What did you learn? The, the everyday things. And how do I get the biggest platform I possibly can to share? They, they are supposed to coexist and they can and they do. I mean, in other words, if you want to change the world, you have to have an ego to, to have a platform. Right. You know what I'm saying? You're you're a very smart woman. You have amazing ideas. Or you could have millions of listeners as you do on your podcast. Well, you can still be this soulful, humble woman and have a major platform upon which to broadcast your beliefs. So they can coexist and they should, I think. Oh, my God. I think that's one of the most powerful things I've ever heard. That was such a gift. And I've heard I've heard Oprah say that she used to just come down to the stage every day and just say, God, use me, right? Use me. And if we're really humble, then we would want to be as big as we could be because we want to be a vehicle for it's God's light. It's God's love, right? So the bigger we can be, we could be in service. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And it's something we have to work on something. I keep saying something I have to work on. I'm in there too. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's true. I, I believe that wholeheartedly. This was literally... The best. Tell us where we can find your record and where we can watch Fear of Rain because it came out a little while ago and where we can keep following along. Thank you. Well, Fear of Rain, I think you can download it or stream it on most of the platforms. And then the album, Alone With My Faith, comes out March 19th and you can stream or download that, you know, Spotify, Pandora, Apple Music, Amazon, just the way you normally would would do it. Or I think they're actually making CDs too, so you could probably buy a CD. (laughs) Well, we'll put links in the show notes and send it all out. And thank you for just making the time. And thank you for being so generous. You did not have to be this present, but this is, it's just so delightful to find out that the person who you just love and admire is even more than you thought. That's such a gift. Well, I love you and I'm proud of you. (laughs) And I hope that you, you know, continue this because, you know, we, we need people like you in the world. You're and you're talented and you're phenomenal at 
this. My daughter, Kate, has a podcast and she's always asking me questions about how to improve. And I'm going to tell her to listen to this because I, I'll I, help her. I'll get on Zoom with her. I'll do whatever I can to help her. Well, you're, you're terrific talent. And um, I'm thankful for your time, too. I'm thankful to you. What a magical, magical conversation. I'm still trying to get over the fact that I sat down with him. I've just thought he was one of the most incredible people for so long. Here are the takeaways. Number one, give yourself something to edit. Give yourself the opportunity to improve. Number two, no matter who you're talking to, love everyone unconditionally. Number three, just try to be better. Work a little harder, dig a little deeper, and look a little closer at yourself. Number four, you're much more than worthy. You're needed and we love you. You're an immeasurable gift of potential that can become something important to yourself and other people. Number five, there's going to be discomfort on the journey. There will be times when you're stuck. It's okay to be present in the pain and the discomfort while it happens. Number six, if given a chance, your purpose will reveal itself to you. And number seven, humility and ego can coexist. You can be humble and let your light shine while you're changing the world. All right, so now we're going to announce today's Instagram winner. I'll be giving away some swag. We've got some adorable hoodies, and I'll be choosing a winner every Monday and Thursday. If you want to be eligible, all you have to do is leave a review for the podcast. Let people know what you think of it. So you can go onto Apple Podcasts and leave a review, or you can also just go onto your Instagram stories and leave a review and tell people about this show and tag me at kathy.heller so that we can make sure that you're entered. So today's winner is Amy Abroad, and she wrote... This is the podcast you're looking for. I found Kathy's podcast at a moment of discouragement. I had dreams, but no idea if they were too big or if I could really make them happen. I felt small and stuck. Kathy came along and helped me dream even bigger and take concrete steps towards my goals. She is a brilliant business coach and an amazing life coach. A few months ago, I launched a website, started a weekly email list, and just sold my first product. I can't wait for each episode to drop. Thanks, Kathy. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you so much. You guys have no idea what these things mean to me. Um, I really, really can't say it enough. I know for certain that there's so many other things that you could be doing with your time. And so the fact that you spend it here is really humbling to me. I can't tell you what it means. Thank you. Thank you for being here. We have so many more guests coming up that are just going to knock your socks off. So go ahead and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and leave a review so that you can be entered into the giveaway. And before I go, I just am curious, do you know anybody who would love this episode? Do you know somebody who's a big fan of Harry Connick or somebody who would just be inspired by what we talked about? If the answer is yes, I want you to text the link to this episode to someone or email it to them or post it on your Instagram and tag me and tag him. Because if you tag me at kathy.heller or you tag him, he's at Harry Connick Jr., I know that I'll repost them and I know that he'll get a kick out of seeing the impact that this has had on you. I love you guys. I will leave you with a song of mine. And since we're now doing daily episodes, Monday through Friday, I'll talk to you tomorrow. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com.